Hey, everybody, welcome to the greatest movie never made podcast, a sister podcast of the good, the bad, and the nerdy movie podcast. With me today is Bruce. Tom, I'm, I'm sorry for whatever I did. I'm sorry. That's life. No, um, what we're talking about today is a special one. So um, if anybody's been listening to other uh, film-related podcasts, uh, you must remember this, the very popular and incredibly uh, complex uh, movie podcast has been doing a series on Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. And it's fantastic. If you haven't listened to that podcast, make sure to download a lot of their current season or some of their previous seasons, like ones on Bell Lugosi. Wait, that hyperbole is really their name? Uh, you must remember this. Yes. Okay. Uh, Karina Longworth is the host and creative show, and uh, she's also married to uh, Ryan Johnson, and they have a lot of special, unique connections to Hollywood. So they have a lot of random people come on impersonating other guests. Like he's had uh, on her series on Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff, uh, Pat Oswald was the voice of uh, Boris Karloff, which fantastic uh, seasons. But yeah, if, uh, it's a great podcast deals with the history of Hollywood, but from kind of darker sides. Like she did a whole season just on Charles Manson's time in Hollywood, which my theories about Patton Oswalt range and vary from the simple, he, he clearly just made a deal with the devil to get to do whatever he wanted in, in, in terms of creative projects and have them succeed and just be whatever his nerdy little heart desires to, I think he might just be a homunculus. I think he would probably agree with you on the second one. Uh, the, I mean, the man's dream was to play a uh, Modoc. So. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you wonder really just like, wh- what blackmail does he hold? His career is, it seems quite improbable. Yeah, well, on the, uh, I have a feeling if this movie we're talking about had happened, he probably would have been in it. But we're talking about uh, a movie that Martin Scorsese spent a good five or six years developing, uh, specifically in the late 1990s. It was been called Dino, a biopic of Dean Martin. So uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, in the mid-90s, well, really starting at the beginning of the 90s, Scorsese was in kind of an interesting point of his career. Uh, Goodfellas had been a huge career comeback, creative, creative success. And, you know, it's one that it's clearly, most people argue, his best work, although some people will say there's this one and this one, this one, but usually Goodfellas is in the top three argument of his best films. So I mean, it, they, le- it led to Good Feathers, which was you know wonderful. Oh, oh, they they flock together. <laughs> no, but uh, you know the success of Goodfellas gave him a lot of interesting options. So uh, right after that, he makes the remake of Cape Fear, which itself was a huge hit for him, and then uh, The Age of Innocence, which is a kind of complete 180. But the point is, at this point in his career, he's trying all these different things. But he decides he wants to delve more into uh, the mob period of the 60s and 50s. So the next project he develops is Casino, which is a, you know, it's it's one of those movies that you either love it or kind of get annoyed with it. But it's, a, you know, it's, it's not the sequel to Goodfellas or even remake, but it's just a different mob story. Also with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. You know that one has its various miles. If you like it, you like it's, it. It's sort of like a retread. It's it's like I'm gonna do the same themes but weaker tea. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's some scenes in that movie I think are funny as hell. Other scenes I'm thinking, yeah, it's kind of a just a remake uh, or just borrowing the same gimmick that happened. I mean, granted, that's a true story, uh, similar in the vein of uh, of Goodfellas, but in both cases, you've got character your, your main your main characters pretty much shady and you don't 100% believe they're telling the truth. So 
But I think that one suffers from the fact that it's it's a little more tight control and a lot more glamorous one versus like Goodfellas, which is all over the place of, of craziness. And I think that's why Goodfellas works better. But for what would have been his third of this kind of uh, trilogy was going to be a biopic on Dean Martin. I mean, sure. Uh, keep in mind, like, I'm a child of the 70s. I was born in 71. And so, like, Dean Martin, like, was involved in my earliest apprehension of television as a drunk has been. So, like, he would just be on these, like, laugh-in type programs or he would be on, like, any, like, NBC Christmas special. Like, oh, those, you know, I can still hear the da-da-da-da-da-da, like, of the Christmas special is vibing in. Like, the same thing that was in front of, like, the Star Wars Christmas special. And, And then there'd just be, you know, Dean Martin making jokes that didn't just, like, go over the head of eight year old Bruce, but were also, like, obviously bad. Oh, yeah. So, and, and, and the musical numbers were like flat and has been, you know, has been, have run out my vocal cords. So, and I, and, you know, I'm not really sure, is he supposed to be a comedian? Is he supposed to be a, a singer? Is, is he, why is he here on my television? Because he's just bad at everything. Yeah. And so uh, by that point in his career, he's pretty much at the, you know, I wouldn't call it, it's not a low point because he's still headlining Vegas making tons of money, but it's the autopilot time of career. It's around the same time him and Sammy Davis Jr. make Cannonball Run and Cannonball Run 2. And after that, they're basically done in Hollywood. They're just- now, admittedly, though, those were funny. You know, yeah. like in the 70s, like I do not feel they would bear like contemporary re- don't make me do it, Tom. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you brought a good contrast. So, you know, the Ramones are on the radio Meanwhile, Dean Martin's on television, so it is a nice little you know discrepancy of what television was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah and- but, but hang on, the Captain and Tennille were also on the radio. I, I I take exception to the idea that like people looking at the late seventies and the early eighties like just go to the slice of cool music. This is the height of Denny Terrio on Dance Fucking Fever. Okay, uh- it was not cool. There was a cool bit of New York and a cool bit of London, and we all pretend that's where we were now, and we weren't just you know. Uh, just running the gamut from Captain and Neil to Phil Collins' Sue Suit Studio. God damn it! Okay, like no, don't don't pretend the cool '80s were like it. Oh no, I mean I will never say the '80s were cool. I will always say that New York in the '70s had a cool music scene, but that's pretty much. It's like six blocks. It's like exactly. six blocks of New York was the cool part of the world, and everything else was dog shit. Have you seen? what people did during the bicentennial hell it was a movie we saw it in one of the movies it was awful it was yeah. just awful <laughs> well that's the point though and but yeah we got at the same time those dean martin is a iconic figure of this time period so well i mean i think you know again i think that you do suffer like again my first elvis was like 70s elvis yeah. And like you just can't respect this. Like this, it's not gonna go. You can't unwind your first impressions. So I feel that that is all a huge elaborate build up to. I don't know how fair I'm prepared to be to the idea that there's a story of Dean Martin that is interesting. Okay, so but that's the point. You have a very uh, clear and honestly, I think maybe one of the reasons why this movie didn't finally happen. So um, from what I read, so uh, he. 
he didn't directly want to do a Dean Martin project. He wanted to do a movie about uh, the Gershwins. And he spent a while developing a screenplay for it. But when he turned it in, Warner Brothers, who he had to deal with, wasn't impressed with it. But they had suggested that he read this bio, this new biography about Dean Martin. So he's like, okay. So he put that script away, which uh, my understanding, he's never wanted to go back to. Which I think him doing a, a Gershwin uh, biopic would be really interesting. However, he, he spent then a few years with the co-writer of uh, Goodfellas, uh, Nicholas Pledgey, to develop a biopic on Dean Martin. So this film would have gone into production, I think, in 1999 or late 98. But a few things happened that basically put the brakes on it. However, this this came out like that he was developing this in 1996. And the stories of who all he wanted to play the parts is fascinating. Because if it had happened, it would have been one of the biggest all-star casts of the 90s. So since we're talking about Dean Martin, you got to talk about all of his famous, you know, people. So the entire Rat Pack, plus Jerry Lewis, plus the various starlets that he hung around, slash dated, slash you know had affairs with. So he died in 1995. Yeah. Uh, so uh, by the time this was being the production, he was already dead. So they could have been as you know, um, I would hate to say you know, you know, hard as they want without him being angry. At the same I mean, time, it's so good for him he died because you know he didn't live to go on trial for all the date raping he did. Well, I mean that's a whole nother podcast, but uh, in fact, I think that's what uh, the uh, uh, you must remember this is going to be covering eventually. So, but so let's t- uh, talk about who all would have been in what's what real people would have been in this film before we talk about who was offered, who literally was verbally offered and confirmed was going to be in this film. Okay, so first we have Jerry Lewis, who was his original partner in, in uh, and Martin Lewis in the 40s and 50s was the biggest live act, period. Like, they could, they were making hand over fist money, which, because of Jerry and uh, Dean's mob ties, were actually making even more because of under-the-table skins. So, yeah, so you got those. But, I mean, I'm just going to say I've seen those things, and, like, we're... Like, is this some sort of historical prank? Like, I, I understand that it was, like, the the histories we have suggest that this was popular, but I can't reconcile it with my knowledge of human beings that anyone would laugh at them. Well, you gotta remember, it's just the humor, the humor back then was, you know, when you think of, like, comedy before Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, it was very sticky, you know, it's very, you know, vaudevillian. You know, I mean, Mel Brooks, his old acts before he kind of got to develop it was that same bit, too. It was like, uh, even George Carlin was doing that before he kind of had his career, re- uh, you know, revival. It just reads Bunch like Fozzie Bear, Waka Waka. And that's what Fozzie Bear was parody. That's the point. Like, the Waka Waka is how, how uh, you know, live shows were. It'd be songman and the comedian. And in this case, they formed their act around, you know, him being kind of a, uh, deeming this kind of a, Star, uh, you know, basically the star and kind of the and Jerry would be the buffoon. So their entire act, you can find footage of it. I mean, is this maybe one of those things where there was like a, a, a fungal bloom for 20 years during like the 40s and 50s? And like it got into everybody with some sort of, you know, salicylate type drug. And, and that's why people laughed at that. Well, I would say more it's the uh, heavy marching. And then the color came afterward when the when the spores receded. That's a fair uh, assumption, but reality. By the time they uh, you know they made like fourteen huge hit movies, Dean kind of got fed up with Jerry and broke up the act. So then G, uh, Dean decides to go on his own solo career, which 
Admittedly, if you've seen some of his films when as a, you know, when he was not working with Jerry, they're actually really good, like Rio Bravo. I mean, the guy could actually work on do some seriously good acting. And a lot well, of- is that the one where he played the drunk cowboy? That was his yeah. only good work with which I am well acquainted. Yeah, uh, uh, that's he plays Dude, which is a, a drunk cowboy, uh, basically sidekick to John Wayne. And Rio Bravo is considered a gr- excellent. Yeah, Western. I I actually enjoy that film despite the fact that you know it's still made with neanderthal you know moral values yeah um but it's still i i i think that there's some depth to it and and it's 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 well done and well acted and well shot yeah for the period certainly yeah in that one he's fine basically a drunk going through withdrawals throughout the film trying to sober up and he does, I mean, really, he even considered he was I mean, a pretty d- functional actor. Was that the character, though, or did they just cut him off? No, that was the actual character. I'm sure he was drinking throughout the film because, according to everyone, he was he was about five, you know, a bottle, a fifth of whiskey every day kind of guy. But that was the standard. I'm sure John Wayne was doing the same thing. So it's, you know, the idea of him being a, uh, like, you know, a drunk that's self that's in like bad alcoholism wasn't something he worried about because he was just Dean Martin. But uh, so after the, his career starts to take off, he, he then partners himself with Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra, and they form the Rat Pack with some others. So the film was going to mostly focus, I think, more on the Rat Pack era of them in uh, Vegas in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, which, of course, that's the whole mob control period, which Casino itself was dealing with that as well. But that was more the late 60s, 70s. This would be the glamour time. So the mob you know, owns half the casinos. The, you know, all the big stars are working there. There's tons of money, and you know the Rat Pack basically are untouchable anywhere they go. Sinatra is basically the king of Hollywood, and Dean and Sammy are basically his knights. And you know they make a bunch of movies about them basically being drunk and hanging out together. Ocean's Eleven, the original one, is a fun movie. As but you know compared to like the remake with George Clooney, it's that's a ten times better film. But the point being is. That's how big they were. The movie didn't have to be good. Just the stars were that that popular. So, uh, the, yeah, in my understanding, it was going to cover that particular period from him and Jerry uh, ending their uh, their partnership to his triumph you know, you know, with uh, Sammy and Frank. So um, here is who was all offered. And according to all reports, all agreed verbally. Now, there was never contracts. So this, their budget was never gotten that far into it. But we'll start with some of the people that was – Offer part. So for Jerry Lewis, they were going to offer it to Jim Carrey. I mean, I'm sure he would want to do it. I'm pretty sure I'd sooner gnaw my own arm off than wish to watch it. Well, like I said, that's it's 1995, 96. Who's the most Jerry Lewis like comedian? Jim Carrey. Yeah. I mean, that's using all of the words loosely. I mean, you did you say human? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, everyone's taking Jim Carrey's different. I think he's better when he does like the dark more. I mean, I love stuff like Dumb and Dumber, but when he does movies like Internal Sun- Eternal Sunshine or Spotless Mind or Man on the Moon, where he's way more, you know. I liked Man on the Moon, but I only liked Man on the Moon because of like directorial choices and how he was used. I think he was doing his level best to ruin it. Well, see, uh, that's a, we'll do. I actually want to do that one later on because I'd like to do like a, a whole series on biopics. I think that's one we can have a fun. Yeah, I think that one comes out really good despite itself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like Ed Wood. It's like it's the 
by meshing with the history and the reality, it gets more complicated. And I think it's more fun, a film that way. But yeah, he's, he was offered Jerry, uh, for Sinatra, because we'll save Houdin for last. So Sinatra, they were going to get John Travolta. No, no, a thousand times. No. Well, uh, uh, Travolta was apparently was excited about it. He was constantly giving interviews. So when Sinatra died, he literally sounds nothing like Sinatra. What the hell are they going to do? Are they going to have a voice actor dub him or something? I think they would have uh, not had any. I, they would not have live singing. I'm sure about that because no way could some of the. I don't think he could him. talk like him. I mean, here's the thing: he can sing. I mean, he sang in he sang in Greece and several. But other- not like. Not in any Sinatra way. Like John Travolta can do a certain amount of cool, but it has nothing to do with the physical presence or cool of Sinatra, and doesn't sound anything like him. I thought about that, and I thought, well, you know, at the time they were developing this, that was hell. He doesn't look like him at all. But get shorty had come out, and that's basically, you know, Chili Palmer is very Sinatra esque. You know, that kind of tough guy mobster that's like. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't see it. I think I can't imagine how they would have made that one work. I can, you know, in in order now, I consider the carry choice more workable, if likely to make me want to poke my eyes out with spoons. But I mean, it's it's just going to be grading. It's going to probably be okay. Uh, I would not know. I'd be like, who is he? Spo- he's supposed to be Sinatra. I don't think I could. I don't think Travolta could produce a recognizable Sinatra. Well, I'm saying that's who. That's who was, uh, and he said many times, yes, he was excited about it. He'd been uh, uh, studying Sinatra from various well, Sure, footage. he would have gotten a Thetan level for something for it, but yeah. Oh, let's not even go that far. But uh, and, and, you know, when Sinatra died, they interviewed him. He's like, I've been spending months preparing for this movie. He was one very open. He was going to play Sinatra. There was no doubt he was, the, he was ready to play Sinatra. Once again, there was no contrast because they weren't. The budget hadn't even been figured out yet, and you know, the cost uh, was, the, to make this movie was going to be very expensive. By the way, uh, everyone, I just want to direct you a uh, little quick shameless plug here to my website, www.thetonsonthedownlow.com. If you send <laughs> me $10, I'll raise your Thetan level one. Shh. You can get, your, get your enlightenment on the cheap kids. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You know, got to clear my head of this. But no, uh, so Travolta was offered, was... Uh, was going to be Sinatra for Peter Lawford. Now, uh, if you know anything about Peter Lawford's history, he was the last, you know, he mm-hmm. was the tie between the Kennedys and, and Sinatra. More importantly, he was, you know, he was the brother-in-law of the Kennedys and he was also the, one of the last people to see Marilyn Monroe alive. Peter Lawford was going to be played by Hugh Grant. I, I have no strong impression there, except that Hugh Grant in the 90s was a human doily and i can't imagine it being any good well i thought about that one too but if you ever watch interviews with peter lawford he was one of those guys who in between was he also a human doily i mean i mean he was he was the kind of guy you would find also at like you know doing game shows like match game or passport something he was you know i think he had talent as an actor but because of his showbiz persona was basically the hey it's it's kind of like the um i i know i have been exposed to media of his and i know that i would probably go oh that guy but i know that also that at the time nothing about him ever induced me to learn his name exactly but that's the point he's he's a forgotten celebrity unless you know anything about like weird things like he how connected he was to the kennedys and how connected he was to i mean he literally marilyn Monroe came by his house the day the night she died 
And, you know, that's why some people, that's the whole part of the Kennedy had her killed, the CIA had her killed conspiracy, because he was one of the last people to actually see her alive. So that's it. But Hugh Grant was up for the part. And, you know, when Hugh Grant plays a dick on purpose, you know, and he's played that in several parts. Like, you know, I would say the best example to say, actually, Cloud Atlas, even though that film's such a mess, he's very good at playing jerks in that film. Oh, God, he was in that thing, too? Oh, yeah. I, I, I knew better. I refused that film on, on oh, conceptual yeah. grounds. Yeah, if you look at who all is in it, it's bizarre. But more importantly, the fact that they constantly have them in crazy makeup for different sequences, it's even more bizarre. Like, he has the advantage. Every part he played was the dick villainish character so he kind of ha- he didn't have to do a lot of heavy like adju- make it to hide who he was yeah it's like that movie in the tiger in the boat movie i was just nope nope i checked out of that shit <laughs> well uh so yeah he was up for that one for joey bishop the comedian who is basically the fifth guy in the rack pack who everybody you know according to all reports he made frank laugh the most that's why he was always there uh, it was gonna be adam sandler oh god oh god why wh- what why oh god we like (sighs) do you suppose we got the trump presidency as like the next less bad timeline than the one in which this movie existed like it might just be make trump worth it well like i said that's the here's where it gets more interesting okay so for sammy davis jr this is where it's been a little confusing i've heard reports it was going to be Don Cheetah, I heard reports it was going to be Chris Rock. I've heard reports that it was going to be Puff Daddy. It's a very wide range of who all was up for it. Uh, you know, Denzel Washington was mentioned, but he wasn't interested in playing Sammy Davis Jr. So Okay, but like Sammy a small dude. Like the physicality and physicality as a dancer, like it has to be like somebody like that. Like Gregory Hines, like, come on. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Gregory Hines was probably too old and too tall also for the part. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, despite the fact that they were... But, like, maybe with some Hobbit like, vision. The Hobbit vision was in works at that point. They could, like, they could hobbify... Hobbit Gregory Hines. Well, like I said, that might have worked, but I think... And the thing is, I think my understanding... Um, he was actually one, Sammy was one of his mentors, so he probably wouldn't have taken it just out of the fact he probably felt like he owed Sammy something. Um... But it's apparently a mix of who was up for it. Like I said, even Puff Daddy was apparently in discussion for it at one point, which no. I don't. I'm hopefully that didn't happen. But uh, Don Cheadle, interesting, did play him in an HBO movie about the Rat Pack not long after this film kind of fell apart. And you'll get a kick. Leota, Ray Leota was playing uh, Sinatra in that version. Okay, yeah, I mean, I can see that again. It's he doesn't look right, but like I can see it, like because he just sort of. I mean, he, he, he sort of cosplays Sinatra in his daily life. That's what he just does. Yeah. He's like a guy I know in Florida who just lives as Jack Sparrow. And, like, that's the commitment. He just, you know, walks around every day to the bar as Jack Sparrow and gets free drinks because he does this in Orlando. And so people out in the bars in Orlando are like, it's Jack Sparrow. They buy him the drink. Honestly, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. And but, yeah, that's... Uh... So yeah, it was. Uh, so as we're going through the list now, of course, we should finally say who was going to, who was the specific, uh, according to all reports, agreed upon to play Dean Martin, Tom Hanks. Who? Tom Hanks was going to be Dean Martin. Who? I've never heard of him. <laughs> so uh, this is interesting. Uh, Scorsese got the idea based actually because of Saturday Night Live. So uh, there was in nineteen, yeah, nineteen ninety. 
Tom Hanks is hosting Saturday Night Live for the fifth time. And in, the, the in 90 straight? Oh, so this is when Hanks was funny because he was still on cocaine at that point. Yeah, okay. So, and by the way, the movie he was promoting at the time was Bond for the Vanity. So, right, right. Well, he was, this is probably his like rebound after trying to get clean once cocaine. Um, but it's fine. He did it on Saturday Night Live. Like Tom Hanks, the, well, the Bosom Buddies bachelor party era, Coke to the Gills, glib and sort of relying on every man but being sleazy. That guy I liked. Yeah. So, uh, base, so on that episode of SNL, they do a bit where, it's a, a holiday special, one of those Christmas specials where it is uh, Dean Martin and his co-host is um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Carl Sagan. <laughs> it's the Carl Sagan Dean Martin Christmas is Bernie special. <laughs> you know that is a great bit. I need to YouTube that up. That sounds yeah, wonderful. Yeah, wherever like uh, Carl keeps introducing these people about the horrors of the world for Christmas, like uh, Sally Struthers was starving kids, global warming. You know, he's going through all the horror, and meanwhile, Dean's trying to make the Christmas special great. And Tom's playing Tom Hanks is playing Dean Martin, and admittedly, it's a pretty funny in rendition. He's wearing like the he's playing old drunken Dean Martin, including really really bad glasses, which Dean Martin was apparently wearing a lot around this time. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty dead on impression of Dean Martin. And the skit actually ends with him bringing all of his regular like Christmas spe- Christmas special gang to steal the show and you know get rid of the uh, the Carl Sagan s side of it. So uh, it's funny. You should definitely watch it. It's available on YouTube. But um, so Scorsese saw that and realized, hey, Tom Hanks can do a really good impression of Dean Martin, and more importantly. Tom Hanks is the most bankable star around. So, of course, you want him to be the star. And Tom Hanks was like, yeah, I'll do it. Because he also thought that Dean Martin would be a fun part for him to play. Because admittedly, he's like, hey, I get to drink and not care about anybody. It's, you know, <laughs> so of course I'll take I mean, but Tom Hanks can't actually tan. That is true. If you see, even in Castaway, where his character is out in the sun all the time. He's, right. He's so very- that would be, you know, Dean was a piece of shoe leather at the end. Oh, I mean, he's he's about as I mean, you know, a lot of people don't know he had to have the nose job early in his career because his nose was so, as they call, Italian. So, yeah, he's about yeah, he's very Sicilian feature. So, right. Well, but but that was how he started. How he ended was like, you know, I think too many times passing out from from drink in the sun in in Vegas, like that will cook you. Oh yeah. Dennis Lair has this great story about in like 93, uh, Dean had seen his, one of his bits about how awesome it was to drink and hang out with like Dean Martin. He invited him over for like a night of nonstop drinking. And he said Dean never stopped drinking until dawn. <laughs> so, and I sit, I really do believe that because of, of course Dean Martin would not stop drinking. <laughs> so he had to have been very pickled toward the end. But um, yeah, so that was your main cast. So Tom Hanks would have been Dean Martin. John Travolta as Frank Sinatra, Adam Sandler as Joey Bishop. Um, You can see this is all the biggest box office stars of the late 90s, all in one film. But I mean, what's what's the narrative arc here? Decline and fall, rise and fall? Like, I, I don't quite get where they'd go with it. Like, I could see, like, it's weird. Those would be some of the best cameos ever. But I don't see there's a whole, like, juicy movie here. See, that's where it gets interesting. According to Scorsese, the script was pretty dense. It might have been three over three hours. Because he'd be covering, you know, you know the, the rise of Martin Lewis, the, you know, him going solo, and then the Rat Pack era would have been, like, the last hour. Not the 
while his career is kind of in the dumps doing, you know, roast and stuff like that. But it would have like where the ending would have been, I think would have been like maybe some sort of, uh, I, I no, think they that, did some really famous. Her, yeah. Vegas, so. How's that going to even work though? Like, it, no, you got to go down to the, like the laugh in sorrow, like wearing the glasses because I don't think his eyes could focus anymore in light and, you know, drinking the Christmas specials uh, to the point where the, the microphone is, is clearly wet. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, exactly. So I think that may have been one of the issue, issues why this film didn't get that far into it was they, you know, where is your script? You know, what's the, you know, where's your ending? Like do you end on a high note or you end on a low note with him kind of, you know, dying by, you know, not by himself, but you're not in the best career state. You know, I, I heard one rumor it was going to end with him reunited with Jerry on, on the 1979 telethon where Frank brought him out, you know, Frank basically forced them to reunite. So I could see that being a, uh, that could be a, a good ending. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> yeah, but the point is like, uh, the only way they're getting back together is if Frank Sinatra forces them in the same room live on television. <laughs> Which, but that's what happened. So, so I think that that probably would have been the ending for it. But I don't know. Uh, maybe could have ended a cannonball run too with three of them, you know, driving off and you know trying to win the race. I. It's you know I think you're right though. Where do you it? What's the the art? What's the finale of this film? Because you know his career was great up to a point, and then it was just, hey, Dean Martin live in Vegas, you know. So I, I mean, again, it's it's where Bruce, you know, young Bruce is is is, is conceived in 1970, but cooked through into the middle of 71, and encounters Dean Martin probably on TV in like 77, 78 as the Christmas special guy who was icky. Like, like that's what he was at that point. And he was omnipresent. Like, literally, you had the Thanksgiving special, you had parades and shit. He was at everything. Like, he was, it, it, there was never any question of, like, he would be there. I mean, I guess at that point, there was still enough mob pull that, like, you know, he, he, we have to put him on. I mean, you know, what, what <laughs> well, I don't want a horse's head in my bed, you know. I, I, but, like, I don't know. Um, no, but 70s were a terrible, terrible time. And the thing is, also, it's there's a lot of mob connection. He, uh, most of his early agents were all mob related. You know, he worked entirely in mob clubs. The casinos that uh, they all worked at were mob owned. So yeah, there's a mob side to all this, and he had plenty of mob connected friends that clearly made some assist- assistance for him various times in his career. And he had a lot of you know a couple of broken marriages, a lot of affairs with may- many famous starlets. So. It's, I don't know, like, how far they could go in that. Now, as for some of the actresses, I've heard just random rumors, you know. Obviously, with that kind of cast, you want somebody like Julie Roberts in there or Sandra Bullock. It's, I mean, you know, who's who of stars of the 90s? The only way I would write this is sort of just turn it into, a, a, a you know, Dean Martin, but then combine it with, like, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and Austin Powers. And I would have made him, like, Dean Martin, super save-the-world spy while so drunk that he couldn't remember, you know, how to urinate. You know, he actually had a spy series. Don't hurt me, Tom. Yeah, it was called, it was the Matt Helm series. He starred in four of those, all these Matt Helm films, which is based on a series of spy novels. And uh, like Sharon Tate was in one of them. Uh, so it's, he actually was a spy in the 60s. Why and do it, you, why do you know all of these things, Tom? It's me. Are, are you sent by God to torture me? 
<laughs> you would actually get a kick out of some of them because they're very like hips. I mean, Austin Powers is way more kind of a rip off of the Matt Helms as much as like the Bond movie. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that's those are a whole nother thing. And they're all like very like campy, you know, spy films. Uh, but yeah, the Matt Helms were um, the uh, his big film series in the 60s. So. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the I mean, as you just nailed it, like there is a kind of a ridiculousness to his career. I mean, I know I'm going to turn it all around. I wish this had happened because it probably would have encouraged Tom Hanks into substance abuse if, you know, simply just from the method acting of it all. And he might have OD'd and then we would remember him fondly. (laughs) Well, uh, that's an interesting take on that film. Uh, But, yeah, I think we all agree if this film had happened, it would have been either a colossal hit or a mega flop. I don't really know. I mean, I think with that many, at that time you get those many stars, it's going to get a big opening, but whether or not it actually is a hit is a whole, you know, it got legs. It's a whole different. Yeah. I mean, just if you're going to do a comedic career, have the decency to like abuse to death because like what would have burnt what would burn out john belushi be now just sad what would burn out john candy be now just sad yeah that's i mean um well in belushi's case we would have gotten uh, him as a ghostbuster so who knows how that would have been in, gone so uh, but yeah uh when he talks to like you know what ifs when it comes to other actors that's a whole different thing but this podcast is also uh, you know we'll explore some of those more in the future but uh bruce thanks for doing this one uh so if this movie had been come out and it was like a three and a half hour biopic would you have bought the ticket are we is it is the, are there vampires in it i mean yeah they don't seem to be able aging all the booze i don't know they don't eat so that, they there, there's a truth to that like the serious serious alcoholics like the pickling is real uh no no this is this is not <laughs> not something i would have put money toward uh, i mean there is a slight chance that the film aficionado i was dating in the 90s would have wanted to see this and i would have been dragged along and i would have complained about it for a while and it might have hastened that breakup <laughs> well uh i think that i, I think that could have been this film could have caused a lot of breakups so all right. Well, thanks for uh, doing this with me, Bruce. Uh, folks, if you enjoyed this episode, please hit us up on our Facebook group, Fans of Good, Bad, uh, Nerdy Movie Podcast. Also on Twitter, uh, Good, Bad, Nerdy Movie Pod. And hey, if you had ideas who you would have preferred to play Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr., please give us some suggestions. Um, Vanilla okay. Ice. You know, I don't know if he would have been right for Frank, but he would have been right for maybe uh, Joey Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> 